That's a lot of challenging anyone listening right now. I mean, just take the time to ask yourself, what's your purpose, you know? And are you living according to your God-given purpose? You know, what do you need to make sure that you're doing that? And if you're really living according to your purpose, what are you doing to help someone else find their purpose? Or perhaps what are you doing to help someone else, you know, have the access to the opportunity that they need to make sure that they're living a fulfilling life that's, you know, in accordance with their purpose? Hey guys, uh, welcome to another episode of Borderless Podcast. I'm super excited to be back for a second season. I have a really good friend of mine um, interviewing today. Uh, welcome to the show, Bob. Thank you so much, uh, Michael, for uh, this uh, wonderful pleasure of having me to the show. And hi, everybody. I'm so much looking forward to our discussions, our conversation today, and we're just sharing a lot of our stories together. So thank you so much for the platform. Hey, and the- I can wait. The pleasure is all mine, brother. It's all mine. Uh, you are such an inspiration, Bob. Um, I've known you for how long? Seven, eight years now. And, you know, I've just yeah. loved to, I've just loved how, you know, how much you've grown over the years. Uh, we met in Norway and then we went to the same university, University of Oklahoma. And, um, yeah, you went back home for one year to start your business and you came back, finished school and then went back home to continue, which I think is a really bold step. So that's all the story I want to capture today. Like who who, who are you and who's the man behind the man um, and, and all that. So can you like tell us a bit about yourself? What's your name? Where are you from? And uh, what do you do? Right. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I must say that uh, it's, 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 it, it's a true pleasure, really, you know, having uh, having a brother like you and a friend like you. Uh, we have definitely shared so much over the years. You know, it's been eight years, you know, since we first met in 2013, somewhere in the fields of Norway. And uh, <laughs> yeah. so much has happened since then. Yeah. And a lot of growth, you know, a lot of transformation. But uh, my name is Robert Bob Okello, as some of you have already heard. And I am from Uganda, born and raised. Uh, though I see myself today mostly as uh, a global citizen, really, you know, citizen of the world. And I think it has so much to do with uh, the UWC experience and uh, how that really helped open the world for me, you know, meeting people like Michael and so many other amazing people from across Africa and across the world. And it has given me this sort of global identity. And so I see myself today really as a global citizen uh, or a citizen of the world. Uh, today, I do run a technology startup, uh, initially to see an education technology startup, though we have morphed really good in our services uh, here in Uganda. Uh, and what we're doing really is leveraging technology to democratize access to life-changing opportunities. Uh, and I'll be sharing some of the background towards this, you know, what really inspired the formation of this company. But that's what I do today uh, full-time. I believe that, uh, you know, Africa is full of so much opportunities, uh, and it's upon we young people to really, you know, uh, take on the challenge to leverage these opportunities to make life-changing opportunities accessible for our people, but also to contribute meaningfully to the growth and development of the African continent and to ensure that the African person, the African race, is one that has a sense of dignity wherever we are, whichever spaces we occupy globally. Uh, so that's, uh, that's, that's briefly uh, what I do. I went to the uh, United World College Red Coast Nordic with Michael from 2013 to 2015. And thereafter, we then went to the University of Oklahoma from 2015 to 20, well, class of 2019, really. But as, yes. I, as Michael mentioned at the beginning, I took a gap year after my, after my junior year and came back home and then went back uh, in uh, the fall of 2019 and then graduated actually last year in 2020, uh, a year later from my peers like Michael. But, uh, but yeah, that's briefly about uh, who I am and uh, what I do. So I'm currently based in Uganda uh, and particularly in my hometown of Lira district. That's in northern Uganda. Wow, that's that's amazing, man! Like I'm, I'm so inspired by your work. I'm so inspired by what you do. You're such an inspirational young man, Bob. Um, I know you hear that a lot, and a lot of your friends have told you the same. And and we all feel that way when we see you, when we talk to you, when we interact with you. Um, you know what I mean. So 
uh, you're doing you're doing an amazing job. You're really doing an amazing job, and I hope sometime in the future, you know, we can bring Marifa Sasa to Sierra Leone and Angola and and you Absolutely. know Swaziland and just kind of like expand it to all these other places. Um, you know, that's that's Absolutely. the vision. I, I know we spoke about that a, a couple of months ago. Um, you know, and, yeah. and yeah, it's it's just gonna be in the works. And you know that's something we should definitely keep on thinking about and eventually work on. Um, uh, you definitely, know. definitely. Um, yeah. And Michael, I must say that uh, you know I think um, sometimes people get a lot of credit for what I do, but I must also say that uh, you know the work that I do would uh, be completely different. Uh, I did not been because of the support system that I have. You know, the friends that I have, like you, the sort of encouragement I get, the financial support I get, just the you know, the advice that I get from so many of my friends, I think it has made this journey a little bit uh, easier, I would say, and the Lord seems lighter for me. So I'm able to do this because I have such amazing people like you in my life, you know, who are there to encourage me when the going gets very tough. People are there to give me a hand, you know. So I think that uh, it, it's, uh, you know, it, it's a very collective uh, effort to see the things that I do come to fruition. It involves a lot of people. Uh, and so I like to say that because sometimes I feel I get too much credit, you know, but I think, you know, <laughs> what I do is made possible and easier <laughs> because, you know, just the network of friends that I have all over the world, you know, it, it, it makes me feel that uh, I can do what I can do because of that support. So I just always like to highlight that and just appreciate everybody who has so far been a part of this journey uh, and continue to be so. Uh, in so many ways, uh, it means a lot, and I really, really appreciate that kind of support as well. Absolutely, absolutely, appreciate that, Bob. Thank you so much. Um, thank you. Uh, you know, just just moving forward, you grew up in Uganda. Um, you said northern parts of Uganda. Um, what what was right. your childhood like? Like, what's a typical day in your household growing up? Yeah, so that's a very good question, and you know particularly for someone who was raised in northern Uganda. Now, some of you might know and some of you might not know, but I can give you a bit of history about Uganda, especially the northern part of Uganda. So I was born, you know, I'm, I'm about uh, 26 now, you know, born in 1995. And when I was born, northern Uganda was going through, you know, there was a civil war actually happening in my part of the country. And as a result, a lot of... Uh, things were different about Northern Uganda compared to different parts of Uganda. And even today, a lot of people still know Northern Uganda as being that war-torn part of the country. But a lot has changed since the guns went silent and the semblance of peace resumed. So much transformation is happening, and it's amazing to see the kind of resilience that my people have been able to show over the years. Uh, and so, as a little child, you know, my childhood was very, very typical for many village boys, you know? I uh, grew up in you know, a typical day, you know, basically going to school. I began my school going to a public school here in uh, in Lira. You know, today is a city now. It used to just be a very, very small town. Um, and, uh, you know, so during school days, typical day, just waking up early in the morning, doing some of the, you know, the house calls, and then after that, going to school. Uh, now, I was quite lucky because uh, my schooling, initially, I began in the public school. And uh, I remember when I, in Uganda, the school system is such that, you know, typically you begin from nursery school, then that's for about three years. So it's like, uh, you know, K1 to K3. And then from there, you go to uh, primary school. Now, primary school in Uganda is for seven years. And then after primary school, one proceeds to secondary school. Now, secondary school is split into uh, all levels. That's ordinary level, which is sort of like junior high school. And then high school, which is uh, what we call the advanced level or A level, which is the last two years of high school. So those make up, uh, make up six years of your secondary schooling. And then after the six years, one then goes to uh, university. So, of course, this is a typical path that anyone who is going to university would follow. Uh, now, university education will vary from three to five or six years, depending on what course one is doing. Uh, and so for me, I began my primary schooling. So primary one, I was actually at a public school. And, you know, in my classroom, we were about at least 150 kids in one classroom, right? Wow. Uh, very crowded, 
Uh, and uh, yeah, the, the, the student ratio was crazy. crazy. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so so as you'd imagine, you now getting the attention from the teacher was something that uh, you know you had to be uh, you had to make an effort to actually get something out of basically. <laughs> Exactly. If you're a backbencher, you do have barely hear what the teacher is doing. And then you find you're sitting on a desk, you know, about uh, maybe about one and a half meters uh, wide. And you're like four of you having to share that desk, you know, and you have to write notes and all this. So this is a very typical thing in most of the public schools, at least at the time it was. Um, so I remember, you know, my parents really believed so much in having a, a very good foundation in as far as education is concerned. Now, both my parents uh, had their education interfered. This was, you know, a generation that uh, was doing schooling in the 1960s and the 1970s. Uh, and so there was a lot of uh, war happening in Uganda. So they didn't get the opportunity to really uh, get higher education. And so they wanted so much for us to be able to have the most, you know, the highest level of education that they could afford. Absolutely. And that was at least a university degree uh, because they missed that opportunity. And they believed the best investment they could make in their children, in us, was to give us that opportunity of at least the university education. Uh, and so... To do that, they, 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 they thought it wise to make sure that we all had very strong foundations. And so being in a classroom of about 150 kids in primary one, that did not sound like a very good foundation, right? And so I remember after, in Uganda, a school year has about three semesters or trimesters, right? We call them school terms. So after the second term, I think I'd uh, performed not, you know, in Uganda, this ranking of school positions. I was about, uh, you know, I think I was 15th in that class of 150. So, you know, according to those standards, I've done quite well, you know. And, but I remember my dad telling me that, uh, you know what, Bob? If you can become number one in the final term, I will take you to a private school where the classes are much smaller. Uh, now, at the time, the difference between, and by the way, in Uganda, the difference between a private school and a public school is uh, not as it is in other parts of the world, like in the U.S. And you talk of private school is for very privileged kids, you know. When I went to primary school, there was a very small difference in terms of, for example, the cost of attending a public school and a private school. The big difference was, of course, in terms of the quality of the education. The classroom sizes were much smaller, so therefore you were able to get more attention from the teachers. A lot of private schools tend to have more incentives for their teachers, and therefore the teachers tend to put in more work, and so helping the students do well. Absolutely. Uh, so that's what my parents hoped for. And so my dad, you know, mentioned to me and said, if you can become number one in your class, I will take you to one of the private schools in Lera. And that became a very serious motivation for me, you know. Now, the school in mind, this is a school where the classroom service was very small. In fact, you know, in my, in my public school, I used to walk to school every morning, right? Uh, wow, and, and, so and how far, how far was that? So this is about uh, eight kilometers every morning and then eight kilometers in the evening. So in a day, you walk about 16 kilometers wow. to school, right back and forth. Wow. Exactly. So you can imagine, you have to wake up very early and by the time you get to school, before you begin classes, you're already somewhat tired, you know. Uh, and Bro, that's that about 10 miles you know, a day. Exactly. Just to like so, go uh, back and forth from school. Dang. Back and forth from school. That's Monday to Friday, you know, five wow. days a week. Uh, so as you can imagine, we are very fit, you know, because we do a lot of workout walking. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. So as you imagine, you know, looking at this from a more positive side, you know, we we are, we are doing a lot of exercise as kids, you know, walking Damn. back and forth from school, you know. Uh, so, <laughs> so the promise of this private school, one, uh, they actually had a school bus. They were the only school in my uh, district that had a school bus, you know. I was just about to ask if the government school didn't have a school bus or something. No, they did not. That was a very typical thing. You know, no school at the time had school buses. So so how long long did you walk 10 miles Monday to Friday to school for how many years? Yeah, so I did that. I did that uh, for about uh, so for uh, for my kindergarten. You know, there was uh, a bicycle at home that you know my parents would use to take me to school and then pick me up. You know, 
around lunchtime to bring me home because it was just hot day. Uh, this was uh, one year, you know, and that was affecting my performance. So, you know, I did I had to do that for one full year. And uh, that's when, you know, the promise me that if I performed really well, I would be taken to this private school that had a school bus, you know. Wow. See, as you imagine, I was really, really pumped up for that. <laughs> and I did all I could in my power to make sure I could actually bring home the results to give me that kind of school bus. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but, uh, I, you know, the school year ended and uh, the results came and, uh, you know, I just performed to my own expectations. I was number eight, not number one. Dang. But nevertheless, uh, my parents they took me to that private school to go and do an interview and they said, if you excel really well in the school interview, then you just go ahead and proceed from there. Uh, now, to this day, I feel I still did so well in that interview, but, um, you know, not everybody was uh, content with the results of that interview. So I was taken to that school, but I had to repeat plus one, you know. Uh, now, that wasn't something very easy for me. Uh, you know, plus one or P1, as we call it in Uganda, primary one, it's supposed to be the easiest class of all, you know. Like, nobody repeats plus one, you know. Nobody repeats <laughs> P1. And I repeat. <laughs> so... I went to this private school and they were like, nah, you're not good enough for primary two or for class two, you know. So they had to take me back to uh, class one, to primary Damn. one. Damn. And I repeated that, you know. Uh, so I really struggled with that for some time, you know. It took me about three, three or four years. In fact, most of my primary schooling for seven years, I didn't really talk about it. Because, you know, it, it really affected my self-esteem, you know, and I struggled with that a bit, just admitting, like, I mean, think about it, you know, how can you repeat the easiest class of all, you know? Right, uh, right. So, you know, I, I spent a lot of time trying to prove myself that, you know, I'm actually just as good as any of the kids here, you know? So I remember, you know, working so hard in my primary uh, two or class two, uh, in the second term, I was actually number one, you know? And I remember I came back home and my dad could not believe it. Like, nah, these results, I don't think they're, you know. <laughs> I don't think they're legit. <laughs> Some Photoshop exactly. is going these on. Too nice. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, these teachers are just being too nice, you know. Uh, so I had to be number one like three times. And then, you know, wow. my dad was now contentious. Like, I think you're right. So they had to slaughter some chicken for me to celebrate. Like, okay, I think <laughs> you know. <laughs> You've proven yourself enough, you know. Uh, so that was really, you know, school life, you know, in those early days as a kid, you know. And then during the school holidays, uh, some of the things I do remember, you know, I used to, uh, during this, you know, especially the, the, uh, the, from December to January, that was the longest school holiday, about two and a half months or three months sometimes. I would come back home, you know, just do, you know, simple things, kids, you know. I used to uh, play a lot to the kids in my village, you know, that's what kids do, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, something I noticed very early, and I think my parents noticed this in me quite early, is that, uh, you know, I was sort of like the ringleader of my, you know, like the village crew, you know, like the village <laughs> kids. Uh, so I... I always took a lot of initiative, you know. We would get into trouble together, you know, do fun things together, you know, and we would punish together whenever we got in trouble, you know. That was the kind of uh, childhood I had, uh, spending time in the village with other, with other kids from the village. Uh, and sometimes we'd go to our ancestral village, uh, which is, you know, where my grandparents were, and uh, we'd look after castle, you know. So a typical day, the school holiday in the village would be simply, you know, waking up in the morning, go to the crawl, and then you take animals for grazing, you know, wow. in the wilderness. And then in the evening, you come back, you know, you bring animals home. Wow. And then, you know, you take a shower, you sleep, and the next day you get repeat, you know. Wow. Uh, we carry some food to the, uh, to the to, with us, you know, during the day, you know, we cook in the bush. Uh, now, my village was located near a, a very big swamp with some water bodies, so, you know, we'd go swimming and doing all this as, as the animals were grazing. Um, this was a very fun childhood for me, typical village life, and I somehow missed that village life, you know, because life was so simple. Uh, we didn't have much, but we made the most from very little, and we lived a very happy life, uh, you know, in the village. Yes. It was a very blissful childhood uh, yes, in the yes. village. Sounds uh, like you it. You know, just uh, with the other kids. 
Yeah. So, sounds like I feel like you, bro that's such an amazing that's such a wholesome you know story about your childhood like just living in the village and and you saying you had less but made the most out of it and that's the irony about life right you have less and right. and even like you just have more time to do other things like connect <clears throat> with nature and 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 spend time with family and do other things but you live in the exactly. city and life becomes hectic like you have it all but life exactly. is hectic and you have yeah. ba- basically no free time and uh you know that's exactly. that's such an amazing story and 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 I'm so glad to hear all that and you just coming from walking 10 miles a day to go to school and back and you setting up your own company today, Bob, I feel like that's that's a huge... Like, when you look back, when you look back at your life, right. Like, right. like, how like how do you feel? You know, I, I feel I've lived a very, uh, you know, what, 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 what? I've, I've lived a very blessed life, you know. I feel so blessed in so many ways because... You know, a lot of people do not know. When I think about, for example, just my educational journey, right? Uh, like the journey to this point, uh, it wasn't always easy. I don't know, when, when I finished my primary school, um, you know, I did so well. I was actually the best in my year, you know, of sitting, you know. Wow. Uh, but my, my parents did not have the resources to see me continuing, with, you know, with my secondary education, at least in the schools that I wanted to go to. Uh, and so I was in a dilemma. For me, it was the end of the road as far as education was concerned. I was going to drop out of school, or at least to stay out until some resources could be mobilized for me to continue my second education. Damn. So there was a scholarship that really saved my life. You know, one of my head teachers told me that, hey, there's a school in Kampala, which is the capital city of Uganda, that is offering scholarships for some children who did so well in the primary living examinations. That's the exam you do uh, after your primary school to go to secondary school. Uh, so I gave it a shot, and uh, the school indeed confirmed that they are offering 20 scholarships. And by the time we reached out to them, 18 of them had already been given out. There were only two spots left. Yo. Now, just picture this, you know. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm calling from the northern part of the country, about 320 kilometers away from Kampala, a place I've never been in my life, you know, and I had to just to, to get to that place, you know, within a span of less than 12 hours, you know. So this was about, uh, you know, 3, 4 p.m. Uh, in the afternoon. And I had to be there the next day by 8 a.m., you know, for an interview. Wow. If I was to get a chance of getting the two remaining scholarships, you know. Uh, but, you know, long story short, I was able to get the scholarship that completely changed my life. It gave me a second chance, you know. When I finished that, it was in that school that I learned about the UWC opportunity. Another scholarship that was completely life-changing in so many ways, you know. When I finished UWC, you know, Michael, you know this, you know, we ended up at the University of Oklahoma with a very generous academic scholarship covering four years of college education. Yeah, yeah. So I look at all these moments and all these, you know, very key turning points in my life, and I think to myself, what a blessed guy. What a lucky person I was. Yeah. Of course, I put in so much work, you know, there's, there's a lot of hard work, you know, but very often I see a lot of my friends who are very hardworking. We all know so many people are so hardworking, but just don't have the right opportunity to match that hard work yeah. you know, to help them become the persons they're meant to be. So, so as a result, you know, I believe that, uh, you know, for my own journey, I've seen and I can witness and attest the fact that, you know, talent is equally distributed, you know, but opportunity is not. Yes. And so when I look at my journey this far, you know, I've made it my last mission to make sure that I can do whatever I can. One, as a way of appreciating everybody who has been a part of my journey thus far by according me the opportunities to be able to, you know, become the person I am, uh, I've made it my mission, really, to democratize access to opportunities. You know, 
So for me, we have a name through education, which is something so, so at the center of what my company does today, you know, using technology to get access to life-changing learning opportunities, you know. This is all informed by my own journey and the role that so many people played in making sure I got an education. And so for me, I feel so privileged to be in a position where I can now slowly begin to do the same for other people, for young people across Uganda and eventually across Africa. It is... Um, you know, it, it, is, it, is, it is a very, very, uh, you know, I feel so blessed to be in this sort of position and to have had the opportunities I've had, to have had the kind of people who believed in me and invested in me without even knowing me, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. That, that's, what, that's the most beautiful part about it, you know? And so today, if I can help someone, if I can do the same for, you know, somebody else, that someday some kid from Northern Uganda, whatever corner of Africa would say, huh, somebody out there did something that changed my life and gave me this opportunity. And, and I was able to be that kind of somebody. For me, that would be all worth it. Yeah. And so I feel truly, truly blessed. Man, your your story is amazing, Bob. I'm 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 actually speechless. Like you you said so much, and I'm trying to process everything you said here, and it's 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 not processing. You know, I can't wait to like listen, go back and listen to this episode again, and 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 just kind of like hear everything you said twice. Um, you you're such an inspiration. I've said this before, and I'll keep on saying it. Like you inspire me, you inspire all of us, your friends. Um, you know, you you such a whole some dude and I'm rooting for you um you know from the bottom of my heart like I want you to win you know what I mean so like I'm, I'm really happy like I'm blessed to have met you I'm blessed that our paths uh crossed and I'm just so happy to be doing this episode with you like our stories are, are different but they, again they are so similar um you know like we all have the same struggles we all come from different places yet our struggles are the same um uh, you know and and this pandemic, you know, I lost my dad six months ago. And one of the things I realized just talking to people, especially black men, is that we all shared the same, like similar struggles. And and that wow. kind of like gave me a vision of what I want this podcast to be now. Because when I started, wow. it was just, I just want to sit down and talk to people. Nothing specific. Mm-hmm. Just talk to people. Like, I love talking to people. I, I just love that I'm, I'm, wow. I'm in a cycle of people from literally all over the world. Like, I have access to wow. people from every single country in the world. And, and I just wanted to tap into that. Not just, you know, get old and be like, I actually connect. I actually know people from all over the world. But what did I do with that? You know, and 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 I just want to collect these stories, man. Like yours is it's it's amazing. Like coming from where you come from and where you are now, and like it's 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 only the top from here. Like that's the only place you can Mm -hmm. go now. And and I'm rooting for you, bro. Like I like I'm I'm really like hoping things work out and you win, and I'm sure it will. Um, and you know I'm I'm cheering on for you. So. Just moving forward, like what what keeps you moving, and how much did right. um you know the, the UWC scholarship impact you? Right. Well, that's I'm so glad you asked that question. And there are so many things that keep me moving, but uh, you know, there. You know, you mentioned how you know just. Uh, dealing with uh, the loss of your dad in a sense help to find a sense of purpose, right, for this podcast. Uh, and, and I, I have, yes. you know, I do believe that, uh, you know, every event that happens in our life, you know, is there for a purpose, you know. Uh, whether it's uh, the loss of a dear family member or, you know, whatever the tragedy, good or bad, you know, these moments that really, these key moments become very definitive moments in our lives. And if, 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 if we just dare enough, we can believe in something that you've done incredibly well, you know, dealing with this, you know, it's a process to, to, to grapple with a lot of these things, right? But in that process, you find the sense of clarity and the sense of purpose, right? Uh, and and I, I'll give you one of those moments for me personally, uh, you know, and that moment was one turning point for me. And that moment is when I discovered what really gets me going, you know, what keeps me going. And then why I'm here, you know, this was around 2012, you know, 9th of January, 2012, you know, that date uh, is one that remains very vivid in my memories because, uh, 
you know, I would, I could say I kissed death, you know, but I survived. Uh, I was heading back to, uh, to Kampala, you know, going back to school. My school had called me back early to go and participate in a computer science Olympiad in Tanzania. And so I bought a bus from Lira, which is in northern Uganda, heading south to Kampala, the capital, uh, at around midnight. And so it was a night journey as we were traveling back to Kampala around 4 a.m. You know, along the highway, there was a truck carrying cargo heading to South Sudan at the time that had broken down on the way. And so my overspeeding bus was approaching, and there was another truck coming along, you know, in the opposite direction. So this was meant to be a head-on collision, but the bus driver dodged the other oncoming truck. Wow. Uh, and the truck passed, but in that process, we crashed head-on into this truck that had broken down heading to South Sudan. And that was a very tragic moment because about seven people died on spot. Oof, man. That could have been me. I could have been one of the seven people, you know. Yeah. Uh, now, what what happened prior to me boarding this bus is something that uh, keeps me so, so thankful that I'm still alive today, but it got me asking very, very important questions. I was, you know, most of the people who died were the guys sitting at the front seat, right? So most of the front seats. And so when I went to book the bus that afternoon prior to the journey, there was actually one seat left at the front. Uh, now, when I travel long journeys, I, I like to sit by the window. Now, this wasn't a window seat, but I wanted to sit at the front. So I, I contemplated for a few moments and I said, you know what? There is a seat at the back, at the window. So because I really want the window, I'll just rather go and sit at the back, you know. So I left that front seat. And unfortunately, very tragically, the person that sat on that seat, it would have been me, bro, actually passed on during the accident, you know. That's and so for crazy. me, getting out of this wreckage of a bus, you know, seven people dead, uh, without a single bruise on my body, no injury, no damage on any, even any of my property on the bus, you know, yeah. it left me, you know, I, I left that scene of the accident with a renewed sense of purpose. And I said, wow, God, you've just literally given me another chance, you know. Wow. And there has to be a reason why you spared my life. There Absolutely. has to be a reason why Absolutely. today wasn't my day, you know. And so for me, from that moment, you know, the way I started looking at life changed completely. You know, mm -hmm. we never know when our day will come. You know, we never know when that moment will be when the creator calls you back and says, son or daughter, I need you back, right? And so for me, it began a journey of being very intentional about everything that I do and making every moment count, you know. So when you ask me what really gets me going, for me, it's really trying to live a life of purpose and a life of impact. You know, how can I live my life in a way that every day I'm using the time that God has given me to make another, someone else's life better, right? And that for me is my way of serving him, you know. How do I live a life that glorifies my creator while serving my fellow humankind, you know, and making the world around me a better place, impacting and touching the lives of those around me. So anything, any opportunity that I get to do that really gets me kicking, you know. And so me starting the company is just one of those avenues, platforms, through which I get to live that purpose and I get to make that difference in my own way, you know. Uh, but secondly, Bro, that's amazing. in that journey, you know, yeah, in that journey, as I mentioned, so many people have believed and invested in me too, you know. So another thing that really gets me kicking is just, you know, for me, it's, it's a way of showing gratitude and saying, look, so many people, a lot of people that do not know me, you know, believed in me and gave me that chance. They just invested in me through their resources, their time, you know, support, encouragement, you know. And if I can find myself in a situation or in a position which I believe I am, to do the same for other people, right? I'm taking that opportunity. So these things really, really get me going. And then thirdly, it, it, it's really, you know, uh, perhaps relating to the second question, the UWC education, what that opportunity meant for me. Now, prior to UWC, 
you know, my sense and understanding of the world, perhaps the limits of my world were very much defined by my childhood experiences in northern Uganda and really typically my experiences within Uganda, right? That was the size of my world. And when I walked into UWC, you know, it was a whole new ballgame. But for me, I think it is one of those opportunities that really, really changed my life. And when I say change my life, it sounds cliche, but I really mean it, you know. Being able to, you know, live life together with students from at least 95 different countries around the world was something very special about the UWC experience. And I think it is very central to the UWC mission of making education a force to unite people, nations, and cultures for peace and a sustainable future. You know, because I didn't really understand the impact of the UWC education until I left, you know. And today it happens every day, you know. I just mentioned a lot of other people interacted today, you know, my UWC friends, right? Uh, and so... That shift from a small village boy from Uganda to this global citizen, you know, that's able to think globally and act locally, but most importantly, knowing that I have a network of friends and family from almost every country you can name on this planet, it's something that is so special and I think would have only been possible through a UWC education, you know the network of friends across the world, the support system across the world. And for me, what really, really, uh, you know, intrigues me is to think about the possibilities that this network could help us do, you know, in terms of actually having long-lasting impact on the world and, and staying true to the founding ideas of UWC. You know, today we are on this podcast and it's just because of our UWC connection that we're able to have this. Yes, Had it not yes, been because of UWC, yes. <laughs> we both wouldn't have met, yes, right? Yes, yes, yes absolutely. <laughs> you know, there's so many amazing people that have been on this podcast, especially in season one, you know, that you were only able to meet because of UWC, right? Uh, so Facts. the United World College Network is something that I think, uh, you know, for me, it was a great life changer. And I continue to see the impact of that every single day. You know, when I went to the University of Oklahoma, you know, most of, from, from our UWC, we were about 15 of us, right? So if you just think of that, a lot of international students working in this like a big university campus, like the University of Oklahoma, and having not known anyone there, the transition is very difficult, right? It's a struggle. But as a UWC alumni, you walk into the spaces and you really have a network of friends where you're just continuing in a sense that in a new environment, you know. So that transition is made much easier. And I think that transition to college, especially in your freshman year, really sets the foundation for what your college experience is going to look like, you know. And so I think I had a very rich and, uh, you know, uh, successful college career also because of my UWC friends and that UWC network and the platform that it gives, you know. Uh, and today, you know, as I run a company in Uganda, you know, a lot of uh, support and a lot of advice I get from my UWC connections and the UWC network, my UWC family, you know. Uh, it's a movement. And, 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 and what can be achieved, I think, uh, we're just scratching the surface. I believe these connections being able to get the exposure to cultures that are different from you, having some of your long-standing beliefs and ideas challenged, you know, by other people during this environment really helps prepare you for success in life yeah. in ways yeah. that most of us only get to fully appreciate beyond the year of this experience itself. I absolutely agree. Um, UWC was such a life-changing opportunity. And what you said about having your beliefs challenge and, uh, you know, that, that actually opened my eyes a lot. Um, I remember one time when they were going to do like a nude performance on stage or like a semi-nude performance on stage. And there yeah. were some, you know, HRB girls are like, this is against my culture. And then there's, there's this bunch of wow. other boys saying, well, this is my culture. So am I going to like forgo my wow. culture because of you? And like, <laughs> that was such an interesting take and conversation and how we dealt with it and oh, yeah. And and we decided yeah. I, I I can't even remember 
Lambert who decided to scrap that particular performance or um, we, we went ahead with it. Um, I can't really remember, but that, that whole conversation... Yeah, really I think it was... Uh there was uh, something that I remember it was organized by Summer there was a restorative circle where we all came together and everybody really uh, shared exactly their yeah. own personal yeah. feelings about yes. uh, this particular art yes. uh, yeah so I think that's how we were able to actually resolve it you know which was again a very university way of resolving such yes. an intense conflict you yes. know yes. Uh, but yeah yeah that was uh, one of those moments I do remember it very well as well Absolutely, absolutely, and and what you said about you trying to do a lot of things, you know, to to help people just brought me back to the memory I I have of we in Norway when we were like going to farms and just cleaning farms for Safuge and going to like right. the shipyard to clean sheep, um, for Safuge right. and. I think UWC really is like it's not just academics; it's extracurricular activities, and you. Um, right. you know, having a project and trying to raise funds for the project. Yeah. Uh, you coming up with a project, first of all, raising funds for this project, going back home and working right. on this project. And I think that really does set the tone for even after you leave UWC, kind of like makes you feel like, okay, Absolutely. life isn't just about me. It's it's about the people I impact. Right. Um, um, you know, it's about the people I, I do stretch my hands and say, hey, I can take you along with me. I can bring you along with me. Uh, you know, I can help you. Mm-hmm. I can help you. I can help you. And the people you inspire. And, and you know, it, it, right. it gives you perspective. And, and I really do, do, do. I really do like that aspect of, of, uh, of UWC. It's, um, you know, it, it really is life changing. Absolutely. You know, it's some of those <clears throat> some of those projects we did like, you know, selfish like you mentioned, you know, being able to actually work together as a team and then at the end of it decide what impactful projects you're going to do in whichever corner of the world with these resources. Uh, I think for me I had the chance and opportunity really to also to, to actually implement a project in Uganda, right? Uh, and this sort of uh, very, very real-life situation application of knowledge is really what I think in many ways laid the foundation for even the work that I'm doing today, you know. And my heart for serving my people uh, and for Uganda, you know. When I look at it, when I look back at all these things, I see why, you know, it was quite easy for me to make that decision to come back home, you know. Because, you know, through the projects we're doing at UWC, for example, self-use, you know, going back home in the summer and doing an impactful project. I remember doing a prayer in my kitchen at the public primary school that was not offering meals to the children. And now after that, they're offering meals, right? So it means more children are staying in school, you know. Uh, moving on to the University in you know, Oklahoma, where we have to do projects for peace, for example, right? So all this, um, you know, Things that we're able to do outside the classroom, I think for me, it really prepared me even for the work that I'm doing today in Uganda. So, yeah, you know, it was more than just academics in the classroom. But learning happens, you know, in every day interaction and in every aspect of college life. Absolutely, absolutely, Bob. I 100% agree. Um, you know, talking about you going back to Uganda and helping out and doing all the work you do, you know, what does your ideal world look like? And, and what are you doing to shape it in that direction? Wow, that's a very powerful question. Uh, you know, I would respond to that this way. Now, I strongly believe that each and every one of us was created with a purpose by our creator, right? And so for me, an ideal world is one where everyone has access to the opportunities that helps them to live a life that is in full alignment and in accordance with their God-given purpose. That's it for me, right? So, you know, what's your purpose in life? Do you have the opportunities and the access to those opportunities to help you, you know, live a life in accordance and in fulfillment to the purpose, you know? And like I said earlier, we live in a world where we are all perhaps some of, most of us understand what our purpose is and some of us are in the process of figuring it out, right? It's almost a lifelong endeavor figuring out your process. 
But most of us begin to get a glimpse of why we are here, you know, the purpose for which we are created, you know. But not everybody has access to the opportunities, right, to really help them, you know, become who they are meant to be, to really help them live a life in accordance to that purpose. And so what I believe I can help make a contribution in and perhaps what I hope would be my life's legacy is if I can in any way meaningfully contribute in helping those people in our society, and I was one of those people, have access to opportunities that they would otherwise not have access to, which in many ways helps them live a life that is in accordance with the purpose, you know. Perhaps it also means helping them, first of all, discover what their purpose is, right? Uh, now, some of us tend to discover our purpose, you know, after going through very tragic situations. You know, for me, that accident really helped me, you know, uh, look at myself in the mirror and say, hey, you know, if uh, today was your day, you know, what would you be able to account for the number of years you have lived on this earth? You know, uh, what would it be for? You know, what would your report card look like? You know, uh, and so I think that uh, a lot of us are in the process of figuring that out. You know, and some events happen in our lives that help that become a little bit more clear, it becomes more vivid. You know, so Absolutely. I believe that uh, through our work at Marifa Sasa, you know, we are not only helping people. Uh, perhaps we are not only helping democratize access to these life-changing opportunities and help people live a life according to their purpose, but also helping people discover their purposes, you know. And, and I think one thing that this podcast is doing too is you know, providing a platform where we all come share our life stories. And, you know, and Michael, you have said this before, and I completely agree with you, like, we never know who's going to listen to this podcast, you know. But I believe that someone is going to be listening to Bob today and really taking a moment to pause and thinking, what is my purpose in life, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so a platform like this helps us really reflect as well and, you know, uh, realign ourselves and just do this internalization and questioning that helps us find what our purpose is, you know. And perhaps I want to challenge anyone listening right now. I mean, just take the time to ask yourself, what's your purpose, you know? And are you living according to your God-given purpose? You know, what do you need to make sure that you're doing that? And if you're really living according to your purpose, what are you doing to help someone else find their purpose? Or perhaps what are you doing to help someone else, you know, have the access to the opportunity that they need to make sure that they're living a fulfilling life that's, you know, in accordance with their purpose. Yeah. So for me, that's really what an ideal world is, you know, where people understand and know what their purpose in life is and they have the access to the opportunities and the means to help them live that life that is in full alignment with their purpose. That's amazing. That's that's so that, that that was a lot. I'm still trying to process this. That that's that's amazing, man. Um I feel like once you know your purpose in Thank life, you. it's so easy or it's easier. It's not really easy, easy. Nothing in life is easy, but it's just easier to navigate life. Um uh, you know, that's that's amazing. Um so tell us more Absolutely. about you know, our, our, yeah, yeah, go go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. I was just, I wanted to add that, you know, like our purpose is like, you know, that North Star, right? Uh, you know, we have a music friend, uh, you know, Ingrid, who always talked of later, you know, the North Star, yes, yes, right? Yes. And our our purpose is like our North Star, it's this guiding star, you know, that keeps you focused and knowing the direction you're supposed to be heading, you know? And once you know that, you know, you have identified the North Star, you'll never get lost, right? Because you have a sense of direction and you know where you're supposed to be going and you're supposed to be headed. Mm -hmm. And everything else, you know, becomes really very, very easy because you know where you're going, you know what you want and you know why you're going there, you know? Uh, But yeah, I just wanted to add that. Just help me remember that. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. That was was apt and that was a good uh, reference to what you were saying anyway, so thank you for that. Um, yeah. yeah, could you tell us a bit more about Marifa Sasa? Like, how, how did Marifa Sasa come about? Um, what do you guys do and what is the vision? So thank you for asking that. Now, Marifa Sasa, first of all, the name Marifa Sasa is actually Swahili. So Marifa means knowledge in Swahili. Uh, and, you know, Marifa actually is 
it's still in Arabic as well. So, you know, we, we had no idea when we were coining this name that it has the same meaning in quite a few languages. Uh, but Narifa means knowledge and Sasa means now in Swahili. And so what we believe is really, uh, you know, we are leveraging technology to democratize access to life-changing opportunities that really help people thrive in what we call the knowledge economy. Everything around us is changing so quickly, and a lot of the changes are being driven by technology. And today, you know, we believe that access to knowledge uh, can be a game-changing, a game-changer for so many of us. And the genesis of Marisa Sasa is very much influenced by my own journey, you know, looking at my educational journey like I shared earlier, you know, and seeing how I was so lucky to have been able to get this sort of opportunities. And most of the young people, most of my peers, never had that kind of opportunity. And so I began thinking about what could I do, you know, with all this access that I've been given to help other people gain access to those meaningful opportunities as well, especially educational opportunities. And that really is what led to the birth of Marika Sasa. And so Marika Sasa was formed to really ensure that one, we can democratize access to life-changing educational opportunities, okay? Uh, ensuring that, uh, you know, students that cannot afford to go to very good schools and therefore that has an impact on what opportunities we can have access to later in life, can still be able to access those opportunities without necessarily going to those schools. Uh, so we launched uh, an e-learning platform. And this is in 2018, you know, during my gap year. That's when we actually, there's a vision right. that, you know, I'd long held that didn't know how to approach it, you know. But uh, that's what caused me to take a gap year from the University of Oklahoma, came back to Uganda, uh, and, you know, began actually doing something about it. And that's what gave birth. Marisa Sasa. So it was in June 2018 that we incorporated as a company here in Uganda, uh, and we began most of our operations in January 2019. Uh, we were very privileged to have been a part of the Tony Elumelo Entrepreneurship Program. That's awesome. Uh, Tony Elumelo Entrepreneurship Program is one of the largest, perhaps the largest entrepreneurship program on the African continent. Yeah. Uh, where you know, you go through this uh, 12 weeks of un- intense but very, very rewarding uh, boot camp where they're training you on, on the basics and the mechanics of how to run a business. Think of it as uh, a condensed MBA, right? Very relevant to the African continent. Wow. And after that, if you go through that successfully, you're given, you know, a, a no strings attached grant of $5,000 to basically start building your company. Uh, and we were able to benefit from that. That's, that's awesome. what got us started in uh, awesome. 2018. That's awesome, yeah. man. That's, that's such an so, amazing startup story. Yeah. Absolutely. And so today, what the company is doing, you know, we have uh, we have grown quite a bit now. You know, we are doing a lot of things when it comes to uh, upskilling and reskilling. We believe that, you know, a lot of Africans, especially young Africans out there, have so much talent. And if you can only accord them the right opportunity for training and upskilling, then a lot of the problems, the biggest of all, in my view, being unemployment could become addressed by ensuring that they have the skills to actually enter the workforce, which is changing very much. And primarily, the change is being driven by technology. So we're offering a lot of technology training programs and scaling programs to make sure that the next generation of African young people have the skills that they need to be active participants in the global digital economy. That's one arm of what they're doing. The other one has to do with the way that learning happens. You know, we're moving, education is shifting so quickly from uh, an information age to the experience age. And so today, learners think they just want to cram information from textbooks and then regurgitate them in exams. They want to learn by doing, you know, what we call the constructivist approach in learning. And so we are using some of the latest technologies like virtual reality, for example, and 3D virtual tours to really help learners get very immersed and engaged in the learning environments so that they can make sense of whatever they are learning and actually are able to, uh, you know, find relevance in this content and therefore shape their educational journeys as well. So that's another component. And the third component of what we do has to do with this, providing technology, especially uh, in the COVID and post-COVID era, for schools to actually offer online learning opportunities. 
We're working with several partners across the world today to actually make sure that is possible, where schools can easily deploy online learning solutions uh, and ensure that they can reach more learners in many places and also be able to subsidize the cost of quality education uh, through e-learning and remote learning solutions. So these are some of the things that uh, Marifa Sasa is doing today. And we're very much excited about what the future has, you know. Michael, you mentioned earlier, you know, the prospects of expanding to Sierra Leone, to Angola and across Africa. And I believe we have already begun that journey and laying the groundwork for that. A lot of the courses we're designing today, especially for the upskilling, it's really not only targeting Ugandan young people, but youth and Africa, across, across Africa, you know. Not primarily right now, our target is the English-speaking African countries. But very soon, we'll be offering courses in Arabic, in Portuguese, to cover the, in, in French, to cover the other aspects of Africa as well. So we are very much excited about what the future holds. And I think that uh, the future is definitely Africa, you know, and there's never been a better time to be an African entrepreneur than today. Man, that is that is so powerful. That is so 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 powerful. You know, I'm I'm so inspired right now, and and I'm rooting for you, honestly. Like I, I'm I'm sure this is gonna go big, and um, I'm wishing you all the best, you and your team. Um, you're a very very hardworking guy, so I'm sure this is gonna turn out just fine, just the way you want it. Um, you know, this 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 has been this has been wholesome, man. Like you guys are doing such an amazing job. Like you. 26 you running your own company with your team um you know you know i sat down i'm like i have to shine the spotlights on this guy like he has to come on this podcast and tell his story because it's it's powerful i've seen you grown i went to school with you two different schools with you um you know so like i'm, I'm so glad you're here i'm so glad we're doing this um you're an inspiration man and and you know thank you so much for coming on the podcast you know a lot of people listening this um, we'll be saying, how, how can I access the Marifa Sasa website? How can I stay in touch? What if I want to contact you? What if I want to donate? You never know. Um, you know. So if people want to get involved, if people want to get in contact with you, how can they do that? Absolutely. First of all, I just want to say thank you so much, Mike, as well, for having me on the podcast. You know, uh, it, it, you know, when I speak to you, I feel equally inspired. And I know I'm speaking to a brother, you know, because I'm literally speaking to my brother. It's from another corner of the continent, you know. Uh, and, and I think this is such a powerful platform. I have, uh, I feel so honored to be a part of, uh, to be a guest here today and to just, uh, you know, have the platform to share our journey and to share our story and also just to, you know, reminisce on some of the memories we have together from our time in school as well. Uh, for those that would love to uh, learn more about uh, Marifa Sasa and the work we are doing, you can uh, visit our website, that is uh, marifasasa.com. That is M-A-A-R-I-F-A-S-A-S-A.com, marifasasa.com. Or you can also reach out to us via email. You can send an email to info, info at marifasasa.com. That is info at marifasasa.com. Uh, you can find us, of course, on social media, on Facebook, at Marifa Sasa, on LinkedIn, at Marifa Sasa, on Instagram, at Marifa Sasa, on Twitter, at Marifa Sasa. We've made your life so easy. So at Marifa Sasa, on any social media platform, <laughs> you'll be able to find us as well. And thank you so much, Michael, for also just letting us share that opportunity. And yeah, we are always looking for partners. We believe that the work we are doing is an important work. But it's also one that we cannot do on our own. It requires a lot of collaboration. It requires a lot of working together. And so that's why we believe so much in partnerships in everything that we do. So we welcome those who are willing to support our work, to partner with us, investors, well-wishers. We are really uh, very much uh, looking forward to working with whoever shares the same vision with us. Amazing. Just amazing, man. Um, yeah, so you guys have heard him, um, you know, connect with him, follow his pages, um, and, and see the work he's doing with his team. Uh, it's, it's life changing. And if you can help in any way, I think it'd be amazing. Um, but yeah, Bob, before I let you go, 
What advice do you have for our brothers and sisters out there in general, first of all, and regarding returning to the continent to, you know, help out or start a business or, you know, settle down? Like what advice would you give to, to us out here? Fantastic. Thank you for asking. So one, this general advice, uh, you know, like I said, I, I, I strongly believe that uh, whenever we live a life that is uh, according to our purpose, everything becomes very easy. So my advice would really be for anyone out there that, uh, you know, make it your goal to really find what that purpose is, you know, what is that God-given purpose that you have, you know. Uh, this is a process, you know, you don't just wake up one morning and you say, I've figured it out, right, it's a process. And if you haven't begun that process ready, if you haven't begun the journey ready, really truly understanding what your purpose is, I encourage you to get started today, you know. And first of all, think about what are the things that really keep your life, you know. But most importantly, what is it that you want to be remembered for? What will your legacy be, you know, 20, 50 years after you're gone? What will people say about you? What will people remember? Which lives will you have touched, okay? So live a life that is uh, inspired by purpose, okay? And so if you haven't really figured that out, you know, no judgment at all, we are all figuring it out. But begin that journey today. Start figuring it out and asking yourself, what is it that you're here for? What is it that you're created blessed to here for? Uh, now, more specifically about retiring the content. Now, I will tell you, and I will admit very, very honestly, it is very hard to come back to Africa after spending four years of your life in the United States or in the diaspora, you know, the, the quality of life that's very different, standards of living very different, and we get so comfortable, right? Uh, and, 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 and this is, this journey is also different for everybody, you know? Uh, now, I am back in Uganda, you know, and I would love to see a lot of us Africans back in our continent and actively actually being involved in the development of our people, of our countries, of our communities, and our continent, right? That is our responsibility. I strongly believe that no one else is going to do it for us. We have to get started. But the beautiful thing is whenever we get started, there are so many people who are rooting for us. There are so many people who are willing to support us. There are so many people who want to see us succeed in this process, in this journey of developing our continent, right? Now, I also want to say that I understand that not everybody is in position to come back home, right? And if that is you, also think about how can you still be actively involved in the development of Africa without necessarily being on the continent? And the good thing is you don't necessarily have to be at home to have an impact at home. Though it significantly makes a difference to be closer to the problem you're trying to solve. I understand that not everybody has that opportunity to be at home, right? So even if you're in the diaspora, what are you doing right now, wherever you are in the world, that contributes to the advancement of the African cause? This is a question I want you to think about. Okay? But ultimately, I think that it is incumbent upon we, the young generations of Africa, to very deliberately and actively get engaged in the development of our continent and of our communities. That is the least we can do to appreciate the generations that have come before us and the sacrifices that they have made to make us have the opportunities that we have today as young Africans across the world. The challenge upon us now is what are we going to do for the next generation of Africans to say, hey, this generation did this and passed the baton to us. So that's the challenge I want to leave to us, actually. And that advice and a challenge at the same time. And thank you so much, Michael, for giving me this opportunity as well. Thank you so, so much, my brother. It's been an amazing time just sitting here and listening to you um, and thank you for that advice slash challenge um, I think it's something we should all you know join the train not join the wagon to do um, and challenge ourselves to help improve the continent and just contribute in making it a better place for everyone um, and it's been a pleasure having you here um, we'll connect again sometime soon I'm sure and thank you for being on the podcast Definitely.